Very good. You can take a seat. How are you all this morning? Good. Who loves daylight saving? Anyone? It'll be good in the end. A little bit of pain right now. It'll be worth it in the end. Well done. Thanks, Andy. Oh, look, I get second communion. Look at that. I'm going to just move this over here. Can you take that for me? No. No? Thanks, Andy. Hey, it's someone's birthday today. Whose birthday do you think it is? Sunny Lot is six today. Very good. It's very excited. So we had the daylight saving factor and a kid's birthday going on at home this morning. So um, it was a lovely morning. I woke up just full of songs of praise because <laughs> I felt so amazing. That feels good now. Anyway, we're going to involve the kids a little bit later on. So kids, I need, I'm going to need your help soon. Is that okay? Yes, that's good. We're going to um, finish up our series this morning, Stories He Told, looking at parables that Jesus shared. And we've, we've done them for the last three weeks and we're finishing today. We're going to look at um, the story he told about the Good Samaritan. It's one that's been, again, well preached. And I'm sure if you've been in church for any length of time, you would have heard a sermon on it. But this, this parable, like many of the parables that Jesus told, many of the stories that he told, it was told in response to a question. So someone asked a question of Jesus and he told them this story to answer the question. Um, you'll find when reading the Bible that Jesus doesn't answer many questions with a straight answer. He answers either with a question back or with a story or with a teaching, with a lesson. Because for Jesus, there's, there's always something that he wants to teach and there's always something that he wants people to get. So... Um, Anyway, in Luke 10, we'll go there. We're going to start this morning with the question. Luke 10, verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say and how do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus this question, and who is my neighbor? Before we look at the reply that Jesus gave, which is the story he told of the Good Samaritan, we're going to just have a look, quick look at these questions. In particular, I want to look at the motivation for asking a question. Have you ever had someone ask you a question and you know that it's a loaded question? Who's ever received a loaded question? You know that they were trying to get something out of you with your answer. Or maybe you've asked one of them yourself. Maybe you've asked one of those questions and there's always something going on because there's a motivation behind asking the question. The man says, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? That was the first question. And they suggest that this was asked to test Jesus. Some people suggest that the man was trying to expose a gap in Jesus' teaching. So he was cynical. He was doubtful. He was trying to challenge Jesus with this question. Then there's other scholars that suggest that it was just a genuine question. He just wanted to know what Jesus thought on how you get eternal life. But he asked the question. But then Jesus doesn't answer the question with an answer. He answers the question with a question. And are you confused yet? Because I will be soon. He answers Jesus with a question. And the question Jesus says is, um, he says, what does the law say? And the man answers correctly and he tells him the right answer. And Jesus said, right, do that and you will live. And then the man goes, okay, Jesus, I see your question and I raise you a question. 
And they're going question for question, back and forth. And the man goes to him, okay, then who is my neighbor? That's a very good question. Both of these questions are good. But my question is, because we're into questions this morning, what's the motivation for asking this question? Nothing wrong with saying, how do I inherit eternal life? Who is my neighbor? But the motivation for asking the questions is different. Matthew Henry says this about this man's two questions. He said, many ask good questions with a design rather to justify themselves than to inform themselves. Rather proudly to show what is good in them than humbly to see what is bad in them. So this man's two questions on the surface, nothing wrong with them, but the motivation is not to learn more, is not to go closer to God. It's actually to justify himself. It's actually to prove himself that he knows what he's talking about. So they're good questions, but they're asked with the wrong motivation. But I actually think questions are good. Questions are healthy. I think it's healthy to ask God questions. I think it's healthy to read something in the Bible and think, you know what, I don't get that. I don't understand that. Or God, I'm having trouble understanding that. Holy Spirit, can you reveal to me what that is about? I shared this a few weeks ago, this quote that says, The Bible without the Holy Spirit is a sundial by moonlight. When you read the Bible, you are meant to have the Holy Spirit guiding you and helping you. There are meant to be bits that you don't understand, that are a bit beyond our thinking, that are a bit too much for us to understand. We ask God to help us and reveal to it. Actually, I think it's okay not only to question the Bible and to question God, as long as it's done in the right motivation, but also to sometimes question the preaching. I remember back in the early days at Macquarie, there was one person in particular, Terry Stevo. Do you remember him, Dave Doyle? I'm sure you do. And he would yell out a question during the preaching. He'd be just like, hey, hey, can you just explain that bit again or, or say something else again? So probably don't do that today because it might put me off a little bit. I'll, I'm happy to have a chat with you afterwards. Be quite braggy. Go take a selfie with a Max model or, or a wax model or something. <laughs> Being there, done that. He did. I overdid it yesterday. But asking questions are okay. Questions are healthy. Questions help us learn. As long as the questions are asked to help us learn, to help us explore, to help us discover, and not just to justify ourselves or to prove that we know the answer. You know, you ask a question, you already know the answer for it, you just want to see if they know. That's the wrong motivation. You know, I love the example of um, the people in Acts 17. It says, Paul went to this new town and he preached the gospel. And then it says this in verse 11. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. In that, they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So they not only just listened to the preaching, but they went home. They read their Bible for themselves and they discovered and asked questions of the text and what was said so that they could learn and they could grow because they were hungry to receive. So this morning, I want you to have a question-asking attitude, a question that goes, you know what, is that true what he's saying? Or how does that apply to my life? Or what part of my life am, do I not line up with what the Word of God is saying? Ask questions. If there's something that you ch are challenged with, it's okay and it's healthy to ask questions. The good thing is, no matter what our motivation no matter whether our motivation is a healthy one or an unhealthy one, Jesus can handle your questions. God is able to handle the questions of man. I love the testimony of Nicky Gumbel. Does anyone know who Nicky Gumbel is? He's the guy that pioneered the Alpha program worldwide that introduces people to Jesus. And he, his testimony is one that he was not a Christian growing up. When he was at university studying law, um, one of his friends became a Christian. So he, being a law student and the son of a barrister, set out to read the Bible 
in order to prove it wrong and show his friend what an idiot he was for being a Christian. As a result, Nicky Gumbel became a Christian because he read the Bible, he asked questions of it, even with a, a motivation of trying to prove it wrong, and the result was he became a Christian. Shows me that God can handle your questions this morning. You can have questions and God can handle them. He's big enough to handle your questions. He's not put off by them. And I don't think we should be put off by them. Jesus was not put off by the religious man's questions. No matter what the motivation was, Jesus responds and engages with this man because he wants the man to get the lesson. And we're going to read the parable now of the Good Samaritan. And this is where we need the kids to help us out. So if you are a kid at heart or in age, then I would like you to come out the front because I need some helpers for this bit. We're going to go right up on stage. We're going to carry this up here. So come on up. Judah's already asked if he can be a bandit and beat up someone. So come on. Come on, Caleb. You want to be a bandit too? Come on, kids. Right up on stage. Who else wants to be in it? Come on up. I need one big kid like to be a... Oh, Josh King, you're putting your hand up. That's fantastic. Come on, Josh. Let's go up. Come on, Josh. Well done. All right. All other kids, come up. Josh, you are the donkey. <laughs> All right. Come on up, mate. I become. Okay, anyone else? Last chance, kids, to be part of this? All right. We are not only this morning, we're going to tell the story of the Good Samaritan, but we're also going to act it out. So what we need is we need a Jewish man, the one that gets beat up. Is that you, Lucy? Is that what you bags this morning? Okay. You're the Jewish man. You can go stand over there near the drum kit for now. Okay, now I need a priest. Do any of you kids want to be a priest? You look like a good priest. Do you want to be a priest? All right, you can be a priest. Do you go stand over next to Lucy? All right, what's your name? Levi. Levi. Oh, Levi, perfect. You can be a temple assistant known as a Levite for Levi. Perfect. Over there, you can go over there. Come on, Geordie, we need you as well. Join the group. All right, we've got that. Now we need a Samaritan. Who wants to be the Samaritan? This is a pretty good role because you know, you're kind of like the hero of the story. So does anyone want to be the Samaritan? Yeah, yeah, okay. Come on. What's your name? James. James. You can go stand over there, James. You can be the, the hero. All right, we've got James. All right, donkey, check. All right, who wants to be the innkeeper, the hotel manager? Jordan, all right. Holiday Inn. Come on over here. You can stand over there. I'll, I'll direct you in a minute. All right, we are left with these four who are our bandits. Can you give us your, can you give us your biggest, scariest face? Come on, biggest, scariest face. Not a laughing face, big, scary face. Okay. All right, now, they say never to work with children or animals, but we're going to give it a go right now. Okay. So what we're going to do is, where's my Jewish man? Jewish man. All right, all other kids, I want you to go stand over near the drum kit now. And when I call upon you, you can come out. All right. Verse 20 of Luke chapter 10. There was a, Jesus replied the story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Jewish man, go for a travel. Just come out here. Go for a wander. Strut your stuff. Come on. There you go. Look at that. Turn back. Travel as a Jewish man would. Travel around. Okay, keep walking around, traveling along. As he was going, he was attacked by bandits. Where's the bandits? Now there's two more bandits. There's two more bandits. Who are the bandits? Come on. Are you a bandit? Come on. See that girl over there? Come on. Over here. You. And you. Get her. Can you get her? Get this girl over here. Get her. Beat her up. 
Peter, okay, put it down on the ground. Put it on the ground. Uh, gentle, easy. All right, you two boys, let the other bandits have a go. Come on, bandits, come over here. You can give her a bit of a kick. It's all right. Mum says you're not allowed to hit people, but I say it's fine. No, no, just stay there for a second. Now, now listen, do not act out this next bit. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. All right, bandits, finish it off. Finish it off. All right, you've left her beaten. All right, bandits, the police are coming. You better run away. Run away. Run away. Run away. Run away. Thank you. Thank you. Let's give our bandits a hand. They're doing well. Okay. All right, where's the priest? Give me a wave, priest. All right, by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him away. So he didn't even, yeah, keep going on your bike. Right into the corner. Well done, priest. Excellent acting. A temple assistant or a Levi walked over and looked at him lying there. Have a look. Have a look. But he also passed by on the other side of the road. Keep walking. Keep going. Well done. All right, where's the Samaritan? Where's the hero of the story? Was it you, James? All right, James. Then a despised Samaritan came along. All right, go get your donkey. Go get your donkey. Get down, donkey. Donkeys don't walk like that. (laughs) Hey, get down, donkey. Come on. That's it. Come along. When he saw the man... (laughs) All right. Focus. (laughs) All right, get off your donkey, because guess what? You saw the person and you had compassion on them. So you've got to come over here and help them. Come over here. Come on. You're going to say, are you all right? Saw compassion on them. Then next thing, what you did, (laughs) what you did was... See out there, it says we won't act out the wounds and the olive oil and all that stuff. But what we're going to do is then he put the man on his own donkey. So can you lift her up and put him on your donkey? I'll help you. I'll help you. Come on. All right, donkey, get ready. She's a bit more heavy than the last one. All right. On the donkey. Lie down. All right. Now, donkey. Jordan, come over here, Jordan. This is our hotel manager. There you go. Come over here, mate. Now, can you bring him over to the innkeeper? Right over. Oh, it's a little bit unstable up there. Come on, right over. Let's go a bit further over here so she has to ride further. And Josh has to ride further. Come on over. Come on over. Right over. All right. There she got to the inn. What's it, what's it say there? <sighs> then he put the man on his shoulder, took him to the inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. Have you got any money? Just pay by card. It's fine. <laughs> All right. There's your card. Can you charge that? The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bills runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. James, can you um, have a conversation with Jordan? Tell him you'll give him money next time you see him. I'll give you money next time I see you. Excellent. All right. I think we're done. Let's give our kids a big hand. Thank you, donkey, the best donkey I've ever seen. Sonny, what happened? You disappeared. Ah, that's all right. Thank you, kids. All right. 
In case you didn't get any of the story because you were too busy being awed by their cuteness, then um, pay attention. After finishing the story, Jesus asks another question because he loves the questions. Verse 36. Now, which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. Was it the priest? Was it the Levite? Or was it the Samaritan? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So like I said, this is a well-known story. This is a well-known um, teaching in the Bible of what it is to be a good Samaritan. But I just want to look at this morning. We're told to go and do the same. So that tells me that there is an application for you and there's an application for me in our lives today. And I just want to give you three quick thoughts this morning on how we can put the story of the Good Samaritan at work into our own life. To me, there's three things that the, Sam the Good Samaritan did that the others didn't do that stand out and they're things that we can do. And the first one is this, he showed initiative. The Good Samaritan showed initiative that was beyond his title or his position. Of the three men that walked past him in, in need that day, two of them, the priest and the temple assistant, they actually had the title or the office or the position that meant that they were meant to show tenderness and compassion to the man in need and to do something to help. But they weren't the ones that helped. The, we don't know what the Samaritan's job title was. He could have been a businessman. He could have been a sports star. He could have been a student. We don't know what he did for a job, but we know what? We know that he did something. I read this yesterday, Paul Scanlon says this, position means nothing if you don't understand the mission. See, the first two, the priest and the Levite, they had the position of people that were meant to do something to help, people that were meant to do something to care, but they had lost sight of what their mission was, what they were called to do. They were called to be people that help. And the thing I've discovered in life is that God gives you a calling or God gives you a mission, but man gives you a title. Man likes to give you a title or a position or a label. But God's the one that gives you a calling. And that calling overrides any title. And that calling and that mission overrides any position that you might have. See, there was something within this man, this good Samaritan, that said, you know what, I've got to do something about that. There was something in him that made him take responsibility and say, I've got to get up and help. And the thing I, I love about it is he didn't just offer to help. He just didn't say, hey, if you ever need a hand, I'll give you help with that. No, he took it upon himself to say, you know what, I see the need. I'm not only going to offer to help, I'm going to be the help. If no one else helps, I'm going to be the person that does it. If no one else turns up, I'm going to be the one that will still be there. The buck will stop with me when it comes to caring for this man. I will take on the responsibility and make it my own because I see the need and I'm going to help. There was something that set him apart. And you know, that kind of attitude that takes initiative for need, that kind of an attitude that sees a problem and goes, you know what, I'm not going to just wait for someone else to do something like that or wait to be asked. I'm actually going to step in and help do that. You have that kind of attitude and you will go well in your workplace. You will go well in your sporting team. You will go well in your school. You will go well in your church. You will go well in life with that sort of attitude that the Good Samaritan had that said, I see a problem or I see a need or I see something that needs to be done and I'm going to be the person that does something about it. No matter what your title, no matter what position they give you. It doesn't matter what title or job you have in life because your calling and your mission can override it. Now, it's great. It's a great thing to have your job and your calling line up in life. Some people are blessed to be able to have a job that they love and they feel called to do. And other people do jobs because they need to put food on the table. And I understand that. 
But when you understand this concept that the Good Samaritan understood is that it doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what they pay you to do. Your calling can override that. God is not limited by what you do for a job. In fact, maybe, just maybe, he wants you to live out your calling in the job that he has given you. Because your calling overrides your position. And the initiative shown by this man was that, you know what, it doesn't matter what my position is, I'm going to let my calling be the thing that makes me do something about it. The Bible makes it pretty clear to us as followers of Jesus what our calling is. It doesn't matter what our title is, our calling are these verses, Isaiah 58, 7. Share your food with the hungry, give shelter to the homeless, give clothes to those who need them, and do not hide from relatives who need your help. I love that one. It doesn't say anything about in-laws in there, just make sure. <laughs> Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. See, these two verses tell me that it doesn't matter what your role is. It doesn't matter what you get paid to do. You might get paid to make coffees. You might get t- paid to teach. You might get paid to fix cars. It doesn't matter what you get paid to do. You are called to be a difference. You are called to help those in need. You are called to have the attitude like the Good Samaritan does, and it overrides your position. In this story, Jesus told it did not matter one bit what the Good Samaritan did for a living. What mattered was that he was compelled to do something. He took the initiative, and he did it. The second thing that he did was this. He paid a price. The Good Samaritan was moved to do something, but that something came at a personal cost to him, a cost that he seems to have had no hesitation in paying. Let's read what it cost him. Luke 10, 34. Going over to him, the Samaritan smoothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. What did it cost him? First thing it cost him was oil, wine, and bandages. We don't know if he had them in his pocket. Or if he carried them with his donkey. You know those people, have you ever met those people that in, their, in the boot of their car, they just seem to have every supply under the sun? Is there any one of those people here in church this morning? Who's got a first aid kit in their car? Who's got like some water, some emergency water? What else could be there? A blanket? What else could you have in your car? A torch? A handbag? Your golf sticks? No, I mean like emergency supplies. Anyone got a raft? No? Life jacket? I don't know. Some people you meet, they just seem to have every, you know, everything you need. I'm not one of those people. Wow, we lost. We're not one of those people. But some people are. And I don't know if the Good Samaritan was one of those type of people. But he needed oil, he needed wine, and he needed bandages. So either he had them and he gave them, or he went and bought them and used them. But it cost him something to help this man in need. The next he gave him the use of his donkey while he walked. He walked while the man rode on his donkey. Next thing was money. It says two coins and the promise of more, if that's what was needed. But the last one's probably the one that's the, probably the one that's most applicable to us. He gave him his time. It was inconvenient. It cost him not only the time to stop and care for him, but it says that he took him to the inn. He stayed the night at the inn, and the next day he made sure he was okay. It cost him his time. How many of us... If we're honest with ourselves, we'd be too busy to help in that sort of way. We've got too many important things to help in that kind of way. I know I've been challenged by that numerous times. I'm on my way to something important and I see someone in need or someone that needs help. And I know I've got important things to do. And it's like, well, what's more important? 
And I know that sometimes you have to be in certain places. But I also know that if we aren't prepared to give our time, then we're not able to walk in this sort of way. And I love the fact that he not only gave the time, but he also has the promise to return. It means that he was invested in the long run. He's like, not only will I help you now, stay the night, but I'll come back and I'll fix up this bill. Shows me that he had an investment in to help this person. I think if we're honest, too many times we want to help people, but we're scared of what it's going to cost us with our time. We're scared of allowing a new friend into our world. We're scared of what it might take us away from. And so we don't invest and we hold back. James 2 verse 14 to 17 says this, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. That's pretty challenging if we really apply that in our lives. But our faith has to go beyond good intentions. Our faith has to go beyond words. Our faith has to result in us doing something to help those that God brings to our attention. Being called to do something and actually doing something are two di different things. So many people talk about the call of God on their life and say, I'm called to do this, I'm called to do that. And I ask the question, well, what are you doing? What are you actually doing towards that call? It's one thing to be called to something, but it's another thing to actually do it, to pay the price and invest and do it. Doing something about it will always cost you something. To pursue the call of God in your life will come at a cost. Jesus doesn't hide that. I won't hide it. The church won't hide it. It actually will cost you something. Jesus encouraged us to count the cost before you commit to anything, before you commit to, to doing anything in life, to count the cost, to consider it. But then to say, okay, now I'm going to pay that price. In Luke 14, verse 27, Jesus said this, And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? For the good Samaritan, he counted the cost and he paid the price. And he was able to make a difference and to help that person in need. For you and I to live this out in our life, we have to be prepared to count the cost. I want you to ask yourself to search your heart this morning and go, what is it that I'm holding back because I don't want to pay the price? What is it that my God might be calling me to do, to serve, to invest, to volunteer, to give my time, to give my resource, whatever it might be. But if I'm honest, I don't want to because I'm holding on to it. I don't want to pay the price. Maybe this morning God's speaking to you and challenging you that it's time to step into your calling and it's time to pay the price of that calling. The third thing the Good Samaritan did, he got over his prejudices. A prejudice is a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. It's like when you group every person of a particular race, particular background, a particular belief, a particular hair colour, a particular build, a particular um, accent, and you say all people like that, and they'd be, they behave in a certain way based on that. And you hold an opinion towards them, normally a negative opinion, based on that background. And the man in need in this story is a Jew. The man who helped him was not someone from his own nation or race, but he was a Samaritan. The Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. 
that was worse than the All Blacks and the Wallabies in the rugby was way worse than that. In fact, culturally speaking, the nation that the Jews most despised and detested were the Samaritans. So not only did these two men culturally not like each other, they actually detested and despised each other, or they were supposed to anyway. The good Samaritan had to get over any cultural prejudice he may have had if he was going to help this person. The good Samaritan helped someone who in all likelihood hated him for no other reason than where he was from. Can you imagine that, going over to someone in need, seeing that person in need and going, this person more than likely hates me just because of where I'm from, and still pushing past that and helping him out. Jesus had previously said these words, Matthew 5, You have heard what the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Or challenging words. How do we respond to people that we know? Not only don't like us, but hate us. How do you respond when someone shows anger or animosity to you or prejudice even towards you? What does it look like for us to live these words of Jesus out? The Samaritan demonstrated exactly these words of Jesus. He pushed past it. You know, a few years ago, I did, a, um, I did an Aboriginal Cultural Awareness Day, part of a staff day. And I've got to say, it was a two-day course. And it was one of the most challenging things I ever did. Because what it did through the course of this, um, these two days was make you become aware of attitudes and thoughts and beliefs that you had that you didn't even know you had. It was like it, it brought out stuff from within and not all of it was pretty. Not all of it was stuff that as a Christian or a pastor, I'd be proud to say those thoughts or beliefs were there. But it exposed it, it brought it to light. And it made me realize that there was stuff I needed to work with in God. There was stuff that I needed the Holy Spirit and God to work in me to get over those prejudices and over those thoughts and beliefs that I had that I didn't even know that they were there. And I was like, you know, I'm a missionary kid. I was born in India. I was, I know what it is to accept all cultures and all races, but even, even me with that background, I was still very aware of how broken I was and how much I needed God to be at work because it made me believe that I had things that I had to get past to see people the way God sees people. And that was something for me, and I'm not saying I'm perfect in that regards now, but it was a journey. It was a journey of understanding, not only myself, but also understanding other people and saying, God, help me to see people the way you see people. Help me to have your eyes and your ears and your heart towards all of humanity. And not let prejudice stop me or guide me from doing anything. If we're honest with ourselves, we all have some prejudices. We all have some beliefs or some thoughts towards people groups that are not the way that God sees those people. And we need to be honest enough to say, God, search my heart. Expose. If there's anything that you need to take me on a journey, then I'm willing to do it. For the good Samaritan, he was willing to push past any prejudice or any cultural difference that he might have to help someone in need. It's challenging to think how we would respond if we were in that situation. The reality is none of us know how we would respond 
if we were in the Good Samaritan shoes, if we were going through life, going through our journey, going through our day, and we were encountered someone in need who we didn't get along with, or someone that we thought might hate us, or someone who we culturally shouldn't hang out with. You know, in, in the world today, it's not Jews and Samaritans, but there's, there's a whole range of different people that I could say right now, and you'll instantly have thoughts about them based on their belief or their practice or who they vote for or what country they come from. And instantly I could say that. But I just, without becoming political, I just say my heart is always this. How does God see that person? And as much as possible, God, can you work on my heart so that I can see them the way that you would see them? And that's really all we can pray because we don't know how we'll respond until we're in the situation. But we can ask God to prepare our hearts and examine our spirit and say, God, do a work in us if you need to do a work. Jesus gave the ultimate example of how to respond to people that didn't like him. Jesus gives us the ultimate example of how to push past any cultural barriers and to reach to all humans, to reach to all mankind. In fact, the story of the Good Samaritan is actually a perfect picture of what Jesus did for each of us. If the um, creative team want to come back up. I want to read this quote. It's a little bit long, but Matthew Henry just writes about the Good Samaritan and how it's just so much a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Let me read it. This parable is applicable to another purpose than for which it was intended and does excellently set forth the kindness and love of God our Saviour towards sinful, miserable man. We were like this poor, distressed traveller, Satan, our enemy, had robbed us, stripped us, and wounded us. Such is the mischief that sin had done in us. We were by nature more than half dead, twice dead, in our trespasses and our sins, utterly unable to help ourselves, for we were without strength. The law of Moses, like the priest and the Levite, the ministers of the law, looks upon us but has no compassion on us, gives us no relief passes by on the other side as having neither pity nor the power to help us. But then comes the blessed Jesus, that good Samaritan. He has compassion on us. He binds up our bleeding wounds, pours in not oil and wine, but that which is infinitely more precious, his own blood. He takes care of us and bids us up, put all the expenses of our cure upon his account. And all this, though he was not one of us, till he was pleased by his voluntary condescension to make himself so, but infinitely above us. This magnifies the riches of his love. Jesus is the picture of the ultimate good Samaritan. Crossed the other side of the world, he crossed from heaven to earth to pick us up, to care for us, to look after us. 1 John 4, 9 to 10 says this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world, that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. He loved us before we could do anything for him. You know, for the good Samaritan looking at the man in need, there was nothing that he could get out of helping him. There was nothing in it for him. There was nothing to gain for him other than a relationship with this man. And that's what he did. And that's what Jesus did for you and I. 
It paid a price. It cost him something. It cost him dearly. But he paid it in order to rescue us and to help us. Not only to give us life here on earth, but to give us the gift of eternal life. And this morning I'm going to finish and I want to pray. I'm just going to ask us to close our eyes. And if you're here this morning and you don't know what it is to know this love, you don't know what it is to be rescued and have Jesus come into your life and help you and give you the gift of eternal life, then right now in this place I give you that opportunity just by raising your hand so I can see it and saying, yeah, that's, I'd like to do that this morning. I'd like to know what it is to be loved by God, to experience the love of Jesus Christ in my life, helping me not only today but giving me the hope of eternal life. Jesus is here this morning and he wants to help you in your world. And if you're here and you want to do that, you can raise your hand right now and give you an opportunity. In a minute, I'm going to pray for every one of us, but I just want to give you that moment, if that's you. God, we thank you. You paid the price for us so that we could have life. You restored us, you fixed us, you renewed us. Church, I just want to pray this morning. Pray that you would agree with this prayer with me. Because we have received so much, God, because we were once like the man lying in the ditch in this story, we were once that person, but now we are not. Now we have an opportunity, God, to be like the Good Samaritan. Now we have an opportunity, God, to let the things that matter to you really matter to us. God, I pray that you would help us to see our workplace, help us to see our family, help us to see our home, our neighborhood, our world, whatever it is that we do. Help us to see it through your eyes. God, maybe there's areas this morning that your Holy Spirit's revealing where we could take initiative, where we could cross the road like this man and do something to help those in need. God, I pray that we'd be willing to pay the costs. And God, I pray that we'd be willing to get over our prejudices, get over any false belief that's holding us back from reaching the people you've called us to reach. God, ultimately our prayer this morning is that we would be your hands and your feet. We've got so much to be grateful for, so much to be thankful for. May we not take it lightly, may we not take it for granted, but may we use it as an opportunity, God, to reach and to help those in need. We thank you, God, for the opportunities you will bring past us this week. Church, this week, God's gonna, I believe God will bring you an opportunity where the old you would have walked by, the old you would have been too busy, the old you would have said, I can't do anything for that person. But maybe, just maybe this week, God will give you the strategy and the idea and the way and the method to be like that good Samaritan, to help that person. Maybe it's a big thing, maybe it's a little thing. But God, I pray for increased opportunities this week for us to be your representative in our week. And not only with those increased opportunities, God, I also pray for a courage and a boldness to be people that do something about it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm done. I'm handed it to Josh.